Parshas Bahaloscha. Uh, excuse me, Parshas Nosso. Um, this week's Parshas, Parshas Nosso. Um, which, by the way, just as a little um, general knowledge, is the, is the longest individual Parsha in the Torah, 176 Psukim. We have spoken in previous years on different hot topics in this Parsha. Specifically, we've, we've addressed Birkas Kohanim several times, I believe. I want to focus tonight on what is one of the one a very challenging parsha in the Torah, and it's very unique, and that is the parsha of Nazir. The parsha of Nazir is unique in the sense that we have an opportunity to do something that goes beyond the normal. You have an opportunity to be a I don't know what to say a meta human. You get to be you get to be someone special. You get to do things. The Torah says there's regular mitzvahs and then there's mitzvahs for the really special people. You can be a really special person in this expression. It's an unusual thing. It's a very, it's very different. It's very, it's very, uh, it's, it's, it's not standard at all. And um, the parsha focuses on that. On that. Um, uh, so, so let's try to understand what 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 is this parsha of Nazir. I mean, the Torah says, Ishki Yafli Linder Neder. Yafli Rashi learns, Yafli means he separates himself out. But there are, Ibn Ezra says that Yafli is, a, is an expression of Pele. It's an expression of a wondrous thing. It's just almost like it's super, as like I said it before, it's like it's supernatural. It's something that, that transcends the normal, which begs a question because regardless, one or the other, either the, either it's supernatural and then why does it work? And if it's not supernatural, and I'm able to stretch myself to do it, so what's supernatural about it? Why is it called kiafli? Why is it called a dvar pella? Why is it called an, such an amazing thing? What is the nakuda? What is the point within Nazirus that is so amazing, that's so incredible, that the Torah focuses on it and calls it kiafli, that a person does a wondrous thing when he, when he makes a Nazirus? Additionally, it's very, very unclear in the literature of the Talmud and the commentaries whether or not this Nazir is doing a good thing or he's not doing a good thing. Is, he, what, is what he's doing praiseworthy or not praiseworthy? Is this really what's expected him of him or is he, or, or is, is he not um, supposed to be doing such a thing? Um, we find there's a famous, there's a famous Gemara um, the famous Gemara in uh, in Nadarim, and I believe it's repeated in Nazir as well. The Gemara says that Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol said, La'olam, that I will never eat from the from the from the carbon chatas of a Nazir. I will never eat from the sin offering of a Nazir, except for the sin offering of the Nazir of the Durham, the Nazir who came from the south. This young certain young man who came from the south. The Gemara then inquires. What's the story of this young man that came from the South? There was a certain person who comes up from the South and he was an unusually handsome fellow, unusually good looking. And his hair was really this, the, fo- the focal point of his beauty. It really drew you in. It was really something that was something special. And Rabbi Shmuel says to this person, Bani, my son, do you realize that when you come to the end of the Nazirus, you're going to have to cut off all your hair. You're going to have to shave yourself bald. You're going to take your pa'er, your glory. You're going to take what makes you so beautiful, and you're going to cut it all off. 
Why would you want to do that to yourself? Why would you want to become such a Nazir? And the Nazir answers Rabbi Shmuel, he says like this, let me tell you the story of my Nazirus. Let me explain to you why I became a Nazir. Let me explain to you why I became a Nazirite. Why did I do this? He says, because I was looking at myself, I came to the well, and I was looking at my reflection in the mirror, and I realized that my Yetzirah, my evil inclination, the side of me that was arrogant and, self, and, and self-promoting, was was Tardani was trying to push me out of this world, was trying to create for me an environment in which I could not function as an Eved Hashem. I was becoming, I was, I was glorying in the fact that I had such beautiful good looks. My wife always says to me, I don't understand why people, people glory in their good looks. You didn't do anything to get those good looks. It's not you. It has nothing to do with you. You became, you look the way you look, because that's the way the Rebbe made you. That's the way God made you. But as we know, people are drawn to their own looks. They see themselves, they, they're proud of it. It's something that makes them proud and it's something that they, they feel is an expression of themselves. Somehow it's a self-expression is in, is in how you look. And this young man said, I realized this beautiful hair was going to was was going to push me out of this world. Was going to make me was going to make me not not capable of being a true Eved Hashem of, of being a, a, a humble and modest person. It was it was gonna it was gonna make me into an arrogant, self serving, self um, uh, type of person that you, you wouldn't want to be around. So I so I made a netter. I decided to become a Nazir. And I decided that in order to be an Azar, I would dedicate that beautiful hair. I would dedicate the hair itself to Hashem. When they cut it off, they throw it on the Mizbeach. I would dedicate my hair to the Rebbe Hashem because because the hair itself was what wanted to remove me from the Olam. It was wanted to remove me from the world. Mishmal stands up and he kisses this man, this young man on the head. And he says, like you, a person like you, is, you're from your carbon, I would, I would be willing to eat. The question that begs itself in the whole story, I mean, there's two, there's really a couple of questions that really jump out at you, but what, what, what in the world was Rabbi Shmuel telling and discouraging him from being a Nazir for in the first place? Here he meets a young man who's a very handsome fellow, he's very good looking, and he says to him, Bini, my son, do you realize that you're going to have to cut off all that beautiful hair? What's going on? Well, 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 that's the appropriate response of the Kohen Gadol? That because this person makes himself into a Nazir, so the Kohen Gadol is, is distressed because he's going to have to cut off the beautiful hair. And further, what does it mean that Rishmael kisses him on the head and he says to him, only you, you. He never met anyone else who was a Nazir la Hashem, who was, who was a, who was a Nazir for altruistic reasons. Every other Nazir he felt was somehow flawed. Every other Nazir somehow, there was something personal in their Naziris. What, 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 a, what did Rabbi Shmuel see that was so special in this person more than anyone else. Why? Why was? Why, why does he see? Why, why is it see? Why does he see it that way? With regard to this parsha of Nazirus, right? We find also that the the Chazal say on the pasuk in Shir Hashirim. Um, the pasuk says, "Shoykav Amude Sheish." Shaykav Amude Sheish, his thighs in a, a description, almost a physical description, what seems to be a physical description of Hashem, says, and his thighs look to me like pillars of Sheish, pillars of marble. And Chazal Darshan from that pasuk of Shaykav Amude Sheish means, Shaykav means Shenishtaykek 
desire to create a world, Amude Sheish, built on Sheish, built on marbles, built on the concepts of Shaish or Sheish, which are which are the concepts of Chachma, Bina, and Das, the concepts of human intellect and human wisdom. And on top of that, prior to that was was the was the shaykh, was the shaykh of of Hashem, the chuka, the desire that, that that Hashem had, and that desire, the Chagamar says that is that is Torah, uh, Amud, the Amud shaykh of um, Amude Sheish, the Amud stands on top of the, is the Torah that stands on top of all of the Chachma and all of the wisdom of the world. Um, that is that is what that is what that that pasuk is is referring to. So it needs to be explained what exactly is this idea of shoykav amude sheish and and chuka and and chukasa alai ahava and that his desire for me is expressed in his love. Right? Where, what do these ideas have to do with the concept of nazir or as an introduction to the parsha of nazir? In what way are they a par- an introduction to this parsha? So. Okay, let's try to understand that. Let me add one more question that I think um, also needs to be kind of implicit in all of Nazir. It's not all, doesn't only appear here in the Parsha of Nazirus, but it appears in other aspects of the Torah, sometimes with Moshe Rabbeinu's marriage or things like that, where we find a similar concept. But I think that this idea also, with what we're going to learn about tonight, this idea will also be... Um, Clarified or reflected well on on what it is uh, on how on the on this the following idea. There is a question that people often ask me, and that is that I think bothers people. It sticks with people, especially when they talk about Moshe Rabbeinu and he's separating in the end of ne- next week's parsha. We're going to talk about how Miriam and and Aaron were talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. That he separated from his wife after Matan Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu said, "I see that in order to receive the Torah, the Jewish people had to separate from their wives. So if they had to separate from their wives because they were going to have a personal meeting directly with the Rebbeinu Shem with Hashem, a confrontation, if you will, a confrontation is too strong a word, a a, a getting together with the Rebbeinu Shem, that and in order to do that, they had to separate from their wives. So for me." who at any given moment Hashem will appear to me and begin talking to me, right? Wherever he is, wherever Moshe is, could start talking to him wherever he is. He doesn't have to come to a special place. And says, Hashem says, says, I don't speak to him in riddles and I don't speak to him in visions. Right? I speak to him, Moshe face to face. Moshe says to himself, you know what? I can't be with a wife anymore. I have to. I have to separate from my wife. I have to separate from my wife. And his his brother and sister, his brother Miriam, his sister Miriam specifically, and you know his brother Aaron also are distressed by Moshe Rabbeinu's attitude. They say we too are Nevi'im. We also have prophecy, and we we don't have to. We don't feel like we don't separate from our wives. Why does Moshe Rabbeinu take this upon himself? Which, by the way, Moshe Rabbeinu did himself. He learned it out. He he figured it out from comparing himself to what happened to and he said, it's not appropriate for me to be together with my wife. So they asked, well, who does he think he is? Why does he think he's so special? He doesn't have to have a wife. What, what kind of business? 
That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem to follow the precepts of the Torah. In fact, it doesn't, does not seem to follow the precepts of the Torah in general. Generally speaking, we look at the Torah and we look at the mitzvahs and we look at all the things that we do and we try to do them within the context of our world, within the context we don't. So the question that begs itself, that comes up over and over again, especially when we talk about the Nazir, this Nazir as being a holy person, as being somebody who is somehow elevated above the stature of the regular person, he's elevated to a higher level, let's call him, for the best, for lack of a better term, we call him a chassid, a person who is, who is completely de- dedicated and devoted to Hashem, right? He can't be together with his wife. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu says. Miriam and Aaron are very upset by this, and etc. That's all for next week's parsha. That the whole the whole discussion about their being upset and they're talking about it and what happens to them, the consequences, etc., etc. But the reality is that they they do feel that, and it begs the question: Is ascetism a goal in Torah? And this is a question that people ask me all the time. People ask me. Rabbi, you always talk about manifesting spiritual potential in the physical dimension. You talk about taking your actions and elevating them up and connecting to Hashem through your actions. Isn't the holiest of holy people on an individual basis by his own volunteer as a volunteer hand, as opposed to the Kohen Gadol, who we have no control over that. He becomes Kohen Gadol regardless. Hashem chooses the Kohen Gadol. And the, I could be the greatest Hamukhachim that I want, but I'll never be a Kohen Gadol, right? And I'll never be a Kohen for that matter. And I won't even be a lady. And all of these people have a certain stature. And we talk about the reality of doing mitzvot. And we talk about connecting to Hashem. But in reality, what is the greatest thing that a person can do in order to make himself as holy as he can possibly make himself? Become a Nazarite. Become a Nazar. So that would seem to imply that there is some, within Judaism, there is some leaning towards asceticism, leaning towards depriving myself of what there is in this world, leaning towards saying that this world is not really what we're striving for. We don't really want material benefits. After all, doesn't it say, Pas Pamelach Toichal, Bala Aretz Tishan, they should be right. Right. You should eat plain bread and drink plain water. Or it's tishan and sleep on the ground. Right. Because if you get too caught up in the, this world, you'll never have any spiritual success. And then we say, well, that's not really true. We make brachos and we engage in this world and we deal with this world hands on and we take this world and we elevate it up to make a part of our world. So which one is it? Does Judaism attach any value to ascetism? Just as a spoiler, I'll put it out there, right? That on the surface, it certainly seems to be, we certainly seem to be saying that with the whole Parsha of Nazir, we certainly seem to be saying that being an being ascetic, denying myself, depriving myself of the pleasure of eating grapes or drinking wine or having anything to do with wine, would seem to be the ultimate killjoy, would seem to be the ultimate negative approach towards the physical world. Is that truly what Judaism wants? Is that truly is what is the Torah's attitude towards asceticism? Is that is that actually something that we look up to? Is, that, is there a difference between the Nazar who doesn't drink wine, so to speak, and 
I'll just say it under my breath for the, for the sake of clarity, because we understand that there must be a difference, but we'll have to explain it. But between him and the Jesuit priest who sits in his monastery and does no, takes no, prior, no pleasure and no pride in anything in the world. And after all, isn't Miriam's criticism of, our, of Moshe Rabbeinu correct? Who does he think he is that just divorcing his wife, separating himself from his wife? What kind of business? Does he think he's holier than us? Are you holier than us? But that implies that there's a certain given holiness in being, a, in being as an ascetic, being a person that deprives himself of physical pleasure. Is that truly what the Torah wants from us? Are we supposed to be the kind of people that never eat anything and don't, we drink stale bread, eat stale bread and drink, drink, drink plain water that's never been refrigerated and don't take any pleasure in anything of this world? Is that really what Judaism is all about? Doesn't seem like it on the surface. So how do we resolve that idea with the idea of the Nazar who does deprive himself of many things, no wine, no grapes, no grape skins, no raisins, no anything that, no anything of the short, no Thomas Mace, he can't become spiritually impure to bury even his parents. He's, he's stuck in this role of a, the greatest ascetic possible. And he doesn't, if he's a Nazar Shimshon, he doesn't even cut his hair. I mean, Really? You don't believe in asceticism? This sure looks like we do. Sure looks like the Torah kind of puts asceticism up there on a podium. And how are we to reach them? What does that really mean? So that's, that's, the, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fantastic question that comes out of this week's Parsha. Comes out of this whole Parsha of Nazar is, where does asceticism fit in in my Avodah Hashem? What is the role of asceticism, of being an ascetic in within the context of Avodah Hashem, okay? Let's begin, let's begin with the Chazal, the Maimar Chazal that I quoted of Shoyka Vamudei Sheish, uh, Shoyka Vamudei Sheish. <clears throat> and I say like this, use the following muscle to try to understand the idea that I'm going to express right now. <clears throat> the muscle goes like this, the, the, the parable is, if a person, if a person puts in tremendous, tremendous effort, well, let, let me start like this. Excuse me. Let me back up for a second. We know that our connection to this world, our understanding and appreciation of this world, is for the most part all about dust. It's all about our knowledge. It's all about how much effort, how much do we attach, how much do we put our brain into it, how much do we come to understand of the world. And the more we understand, even though it's true that the more we know, the more we know that we don't know, but the more we understand, the more deeply every aspect of what we do understand actually start, begins to open up for us. And what was initially an olam sasam, what initially is, an, is a closed world, Slowly but surely, as we delve into it and we practice it and we do it over and over again and we study it again and again and again, we come up with new insights, deeper insights, more, 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 more powerful insights that are really re with relevant lessons and the relevant possibility of what they can do for us. That's the natural way of the world because the world was created through our through our knowledge, through our intellect, through our intelligence. And therefore, it makes sense that for us, the reality is 
that the closest we can get to Hashem is by striving intellectually to understand as much of what I can of what he is and where he comes from. Then, then his message overall resonates with us. But in order to get there, it's a process. In order to get to that point, there is a process. Because when you know nothing, it's very hard to understand anything. And then as one adds little blocks and little little aspects, little elements of knowledge to the things that he knows, then things come sharper, come, become sharper and sharper for him, and they move into greater focus, and they become things that he becomes sensitive to and sensitive about. And that's really... Um, that's really about appreciating and enjoying and benefiting to the fullest extent of the world that we live in. In other words, the Pasuk states, The heavens are the heavenly worlds, the heavenly spheres, the heavens, the heavens, that all belongs to Hashem. That's all God's stuff. Our stuff is right here in this world. Our stuff, what we have from the Rebun Shalom, is right here. Shemaim, Shemaim, Hashem, Haaretz, Nosan Adam. The earth is given over to mankind. It's given over to the human race. It's given over to us to discover and to seek out and to connect to Him in the ways that we're, it's possible for us to do that. And through the, the highest way that's actually possible for us to do that, right, is. Um, Is through our intellect, is through our through our through that ability. But the reality is that there's a part of the Ribanashom, a part of the Ribanashom that we truly can never actually wrap our minds around, get our minds all the way around it. But there is a part to the Ribanashom that is. What's the, there's no there's no good English word for us that 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 he, he, the 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 fun the formation of the world was because Hakadosh Baruch Hu had a chuka he had we'll call it in quotation marks a desire to create a world it's Hakadosh Baruch Hu had a chuka for the world not something that can be rationally explained something that was there the chuka the desire was there before the world existed. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu established Amud Sheish. He established pillars of wisdom to hold that desire up. But the desire to create the world was what came first. Whatever desire means by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'll, you'll see in a moment what the, where, where the, that there's this concept of an abstract need for something or abstract desire to want to do something right? That's not governed by anything else. It's simply there. That chashuka, that desire, that sense of need to, to attach to something that's greater is implanted within our DNA. We have that as a part of ourselves as well. Let me try to illustrate that for just for a moment. Many times you meet a person, right? And they like something, but they can't tell you why they like it. 
They just know that deep within them wells up this sense of desire, of wanting, of what, connecting to something without rationally being able to explain what that connection really is. There's a sense of being, there's a sense of something that is greater than the whole, that's greater than the sum of the parts, um, that I ultimately want to connect to this thing. You find it with people all the time, especially especially when it comes to the area of what we call taivas, what we call lusts, things that people desire and they want. When you think about it, they don't desire or want any, most of those things that they desire and they want end up ruining them, end up having a negative effect on them, having being bad for them. And the reality is they knew it going in. They knew before they started that this was ultimately going to be bad for them. They knew at the very start, just as an example, just as an example of this, right? The fellow on his way to the operating room, they're about to cut off his... um, they're about to amputate some of his extremities. Maybe it's his toes. Maybe it's more than that. Right? Why? Because he has neopathy, because he has dead nerves, nerve endings that died, because he's destroyed his lungs, lung capacity, and his body's not able to pump oxygen to those farthest extremities of his body. So now they've, they've died off and become gangrenous and threatened to infect him and to kill him. So in order to save his life, you're going to need to amputate legs, uh, toes, fingers, legs, etc. And the reality is, the reality is that they knew that before they did the destructive behavior that they did. But they were so drawn to it, there was something inside them that just needed to have it despite the consequences. This is a transcendent desire that exists inside of all of us channeled correctly, it reaches out and its desire is to connect directly to the Ribbon Shalom. It's a zelu uma it is a, a tit for tat, it's a parallel of the Ribbon Shalom's tshuka, his desire, his want to create this world. It's paralleled by us, by having a desire, a want for certain things, usually for something that's greater than myself, to guide myself, to make myself a part of something that's bigger. So even within the context of, uh, of what a person is, right, a person has this inner innate desire that needs to be tapped into. However, however, proceed with caution. Proceed with caution. What do I mean proceed with caution? Because the reality is that let me give a muscle. If a person wants to go on an archaeological dig, a person wants to go and explore something, right? And he's looking for ancient treasures. So how does it work? Initially, what you have to do is you have to dig out the stuff that's closest to you 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. And then as you go deeper and deeper and you keep sifting and straining through that sand, you begin to find things that were perhaps a little older. A thousand years ago, fifteen hundred years ago, but you're looking for something that was there two and a half to three thousand years ago. So for you, you've got to just keep sifting and sifting and sifting until you can get to that place where you're able to reach those things that are so far away. 
in terms of our relationship with the Rebbe Shalom, in terms of our relationship with Hashem, the reality is, the reality is that we have to start from what's closest to us, from what we understand, from what we experience, from what we're able to take, from what we're able to gain inspiration from, from what we're able to see and sense and get a feeling of connectedness to Hashem. Maisa HaMitzvos, we have to start with doing the mitzvos, carrying them out, tying on the tefillin to tie Hashem closer to my heart, right? Putting on that talus, wrapping myself up in that talus, recognizing that I'm connected now to the Levi Yisrael, to all of the Jewish people, to all those that, are that, that were there before me. And every aspect of every mitzvah that I take a bite out of that matzah, it doesn't feel spiritually elevating. Perhaps it takes work to experience how this is matzos lechem oni, this is the an expression of our poverty, an expression of our slavery. But if we work hard enough, then we can begin to build those images, build on the realities that are there in front of us, because that's what Chachma is. Chachma is about learning the reality that's right there in front of you. And sometimes you may have to, you may have to um, take, take necessary precautions to do certain things. But the reality is each step of the way, it needs to be built up. This is what, this is what Chazal tell us. A person who's an Amaaretz, a person who doesn't know anything, can't be a Chassid. What we're saying is this. Just like the coin sift, just like the archaeological dig, you have to build layer upon layer upon layer, civilization after civilization after civilization. You can't expect to jump from the modern era all the way back to the Herodian administration. It's just not going to work. It's not going to happen. You're not going to find coins in that way. It just doesn't, it doesn't, fall, doesn't fall out that way. So, so too, if I want to connect with the Rebunshalm, I can't jump straight to some sort of a transcendent level, to something that's not there, that's not that's ephemeral, something that's not practical that I can't wrap my hand to hands around. It's I need to first find a way to wrap my hands around this, to experience this idea, feel it, know what it is, and then understand it more deeply. And as I understand more of it, I get another layer and another layer. Eventually, I hit, I have a full, full understanding. And somewhere along the line, there's a, there's a chuka that's ignited. There's a desire within me, a blistering desire to connect in a way that I can't even begin to describe. Because it's not something that's rational. It's, a, it's not just an emotional push. It's much more than just that emotional push because it's built on top of an understanding of my connection to the Yerban Shalom, the way it's supposed to be. Every step of the way, I'm building up to something that's bigger than myself. There's a, that I'm building up to myself in a way that is um, that, it, that, that takes me beyond. Um, the Ram says, right, if a person wants to connect to the Yerban Shalom, he wants to feel how he can be connected to the Yerban Shalom, all he has to do is to look around at the Bria, he has to look around at creation, he has to look around at the world around him and see all of the amazing things that there are here in the world, look at the beautiful trees and the mountains and the possibilities that there are for connecting to him in a rational, logical way. And that will bring about a sense of something that moves more deeply inside the person that goes beyond just 
what I experience on a, on a practical level. It's something I experience outside of myself and a, a desire for a connection that is more, that's when I've touched the world of tshuka. That's when I've touched the world. That's what the chazal means when it says that Hashem created the world, shaykav amudei she shaykav shetshukasai, that his desire was to establish a world, a world based on Chachma, a world based on Bina, a world based on Das, a world based on the intellect of the human being. And yet, what precedes that intellect is this Shuka of Hashem, this desire of Hashem that I can tap into at certain moments. I can't govern how it's going to happen, but it's there as something that's above myself. It's there as something that's transcendent to my own reality. That's what the Chazal are trying to tell us that the concept of Naziris is. And the concept of Naziris is it's a Dover Pella. It's something that's wondrous. It's not something that you can put your finger on. And by the way, it's not something that can come out of nothing. It can't build built a, oh, I have a feeling. You know, the famous story I've said over before of Rabbi Yashaber and the ladies who wore tzitzis, who wore, who wore the tzitzis that didn't have any, the four the four cornered garments that didn't have any tzitzis on them and said that they were feeling some sort of a spiritual high. No, that's nonsense. You're feeling you're feeling something that's empty. You haven't built on anything. You have no experience. You have no connection. You have no essence of who you are as a human being to being connected to Hashem. So you then you, what you're experiencing is not a feeling of anything. That's a feeling of nothing. That that feeling only comes to a person when he's elevated himself to another level. When he's elevated himself to another to, to the connecting on a on a on a higher and a deeper plane. That's shukosay alai ahava. That Kashbrokh's desire for me is something that transcends this world. That's, the, that's what the Chazal really means, and that's the concept of why the Naziris is a Dara Pella. So, what was going on with the Nazir Minatarim? What was going on with Rabbi Shmuel and this young man who saw his reflection in the mirror? If you think about it, that idea is really encapsulated in what we're talking about over here. Because what was that young man saying? That young man was saying this. He was saying, my hair has become a distraction. My hair is making me think that I am something that's beautiful, that it's attributed somehow to me, that it's something about me. But I realize that in doing that, I'm losing the bigger picture. If a person has a beautiful head of hair and he's drowning at sea and his hair is caught on something and it's pulling him under, he's not going to say, oh, if I cut my hair off, I'm going to be an ugly guy. So I'm not going to cut my hair off. I'd rather drown, right? That, that hair is only a means to an end. And when the moment this person uh, sensed that his hair was a distraction from the reality of being in the world, a reality of connecting to Hashem, it was making him think inward about himself. He said, no, no, that hair has to go. That hair is not beauty because that beauty is only there if it helps me to elevate myself to bring me closer to Hashem. And Rabbi Shmuel says, from you, my son, I will, I'm willing to eat. The Ben Ishchai explains in his Sefer Ben Yoyoda, why did he kiss him on his head when he said that? He was saying like this. What he's saying was there's different kinds of Naziris. Sometimes there's a Naziris that a person wants to do something and he wants to do something and he gets, the, gets into it, and it's so hard for him, he really, ultimately, he regrets that he really did this. He has a certain, there's a certain regret that he did it. Or you can have a person that no matter how hard it was, 
he understands the reason why he got into this in the first place, and he's able to focus on that reason, and that's able to ele- elevate him above that. Let me give it. Let me. Let me give, again. Let me try to use a muscle to bring the point out. The idea is right that the person, if a person has a, a certain job that he tries to do, a business that he tries, and he tries and he tries and he tries, and the business sometimes successful, sometimes it's not. And then he really believes in what he's doing, so he tries even harder. At some point, he says to himself, what am I doing? Let me just go get a job. Let me just go work for somebody else. It's not working anyway. It's not going anywhere. And then he regrets all the time that he put into it because it wasn't worth it, because it really it didn't work out in the end. But if, if God forbid, a person has a child that gets lost, and he's looking for that child and searching and searching and searching and searching. And he never finds the child. Does he ever say to himself, ah, oh, the time I put in looking for the child was wasted. He's never going to say that. Because the purpose of the search, in and of, the search had a value in and of itself because he was looking for something. A Nazir that wants to connect to Hashem and it's really difficult for him. Ultimately, generally speaking, Rabbi Shmuel said, People, by the time they get to it, when they make a mistake and they become tame, I'm not going to eat from their korbanos. Even though, oh, it was an accident, it was, weren't they being a nazir? But they have harata, they have, they, they have regret because it was so hard to stay, not come in contact with a dead body and not to eat it. So it became too difficult, it became burdensome, and it's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. But this nazir said, what was the purpose of my nazirs? It was a decision that I made that I need to be closer to Hashem. I can't have things that distract me, that are drowning me. I can't have blocks of hair that are pulling me down. It's coming from a place of the intellect, not from a feeling of I need to somehow um, experience some sort of a trauma and I now need to somehow become a nazir in order to purify myself. And then it gets too hard. So then I regret that I did. I tried something that was bigger than myself. No, no, this is a person who decided that well, I have to know what's important in life. I need to know where I'm, where do I really want to connect? How do I really want to be what I want to be? How do I, how do I, how do I make myself into that something that's bigger than myself? And that really brings me to the idea that I was trying to talk with, tell, to say that how does Judaism view asceticism? The answer is Judaism does not pro, does not necessarily agree with asceticism unless you're on a level to understand that the asceticism is a means to an end. Because when one sees that the physical world, when one uses the deprivation of the physical world in order to make myself holier, then it means that I am not really there. I'm not really connected to that. And depriving myself of this world is depriving myself of the gifts that Hashem gave to me. I'm not connecting to Hashem. But when I become an ascetic, because I see the ascetism as getting in the way, as blocking my connection to Hashem, that's a whole different reality. That's a whole different, that's a whole different concept. There's a Pasuk, there's a Pasuk in, in, uh, in, in Eov. Now, most of the Pesukim in Eov have seemed to have negative connotations, but Chazal tend, in the Gemara, tend to turn them around and find what's positive, the positive message that's been saying. It's part the Pasuk says, come to below Oni, below below Ace, the shot nahar. Disaster struck in not in the timely fashion, and I was drowned by the river. So on the surface, it sounds like a horrible thing. There's ter- terrible tragedies and floods, etc. Chazal say this this Pasuk is referring to Tamide Chacham Shemakam Tim Atman Ba'ilamazeh. 
This pasuk refers to the Tamir Chachamim who rip up their connection to this world, who, 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 who cause themselves disaster in this world. Hashem reveals to them a river of a river of wisdom in the world to come. What it's saying is like this: to move away from the physical world for the sake of being depriving oneself of the physical world, thinking that the ascetism is a goal in and of itself, that that proves my holiness, that's a mistake. That's not Judaism. In Judaism, you understand that ascetism is possible to be a means to an end. Where I see the physical world as being distracting, allowing me to, uh, it takes away from my focus on what it is. They spend their time only in only learning Torah. So they see in a world, in the world of action, which actions are necessary and which ones are unnecessary. And they take the unnecessary actions out of the equation. And they transform them. That's the concept. I am for my beloved and his desire is for me. It's when I reach that level of desire. You can't just arrive at that level of desire. You have to work from within this world until you sense that sense of connection to something that's higher. You're moved by something that's beyond this world. That's the message of the Nazar. It's possible that a person could be moved by things that are higher than this world, but only if he's built up through this world into the what into the perfection of what it takes to come to Allah Abba. That's the concept. Nazir, the word Nazir comes from the word Nazir, from being a crown. What, what, what does a crown do? The crown takes a regular person, and when you put that crown on his head, it elevates that person up to being a whole different level. It makes him into a king. The fact that he's wearing the crown, the coronation is to put the crown on his head. The crown makes him elevated. It it raises him up. The Nazir is raised up because he's worked through this world and he's, 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 he's been inspired to the level, to that, to that, to that, that ephemeral reality of what we call chuka, of desire, of a sense of being, a sense of something that moves us that's beyond this world. That's 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 the parsha of Nazir. That's what it means. And a, a Nazir is a Maisa Hasidus, yes, but a Maisa Hasidus has to, can only come in an appropriate fashion. It can only come when I've utilized this world to the level that I can. Moshe does not separate from his wife on day one. He gets married first, and eventually he reaches that level. Miriam and Aaron Hashem tells him, you made a mistake. You didn't realize Moshe Rabbeinu is in a whole different world than where you are. So yes, for you, it's not appropriate to separate from your wives. For you, it's necessary for you to have Miriam, to have a husband. But for Moshe Rabbeinu, where he's at, he's in the world that's moved beyond. He's outside of the realm of the regular, outside of that regular stratosphere. It's not just asceticism for the sake of asceticism. It's the asceticism is there because it's an understanding that there are physical things in the world that can be a blockage to my going to transcending to a higher level. But that's only after I've utilized all of those physical things to get to the level where I can see how the physical things can be holding me back. That if I don't work through that, then, then I can never realize that. I can never see that because this world is built on Chachmah. So you have to start with Chachmah. You have to start with the wisdom. You have to perfect the wisdom. When you reach the highest levels of wisdom, then all of a sudden, the gateways to chuka, 
to desire, to, to a sense of being, a sense of, of, of affinity to something that's outside of myself are opened up in a way that's actually real and can be actualized. And that's where asceticism is really appropriate. But only for somebody who's ready for the Nazir Lahazir Lashem, for the one who's ready to wear the crown, to crown all of his being and crown all of his desires, to, to make himself into something that's transcendent and can and connect to, to a world in a way in a, on a whole different level. That's Anila Dodi Va'alai Chukasa. I am for my beloved Va'alai Tishukasa to him. To me, his desire flows down. I feel the sense, that sense, and then I'm then I'm open to those realities. That's what Naziris is really all about. That's what the Parsha of Naziris is. It is an elevated status, but it's not an elevated status that's necessarily open to everyone unless we work our way through and we build up to that one step off after another. Otherwise, we're building castles in the air. Otherwise, a person that thinks that he can just stop and think about it and be a spiritual person without carrying through the actions, making himself into that person through this world, it doesn't work. It's only by building it through this world, ultimately, one can then begin to experience that chuka, that desire on a higher level of what it means to be transcendent, what it means to wear the, the nazer, to wear the crown that elevates me above. Okay, have a wonderful Shabbos.